Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. So good to have you guys with us here today. Um, we are in the middle of 21 days of prayer and summer at the Gathering, two of what has become my favorite seasons here at the Gathering Church, and so we're just so honored to have you with us today. You know, Robbie just mentioned that, that the kind of pathway that we're fixated on here is leading people to know God and find freedom and discover their purpose and make a difference. And one of the most important, and even I would say like the longest step there, is that process of finding freedom. It's such an important thing, though, that, that, that we want to, as the church, be able to partner with people as they find freedom from the things that have always been holding them back in their lives. We, we want to walk with people as they find freedom from the wrong mindset, from negativity, from, from depression, anxiety, from sin, from habit, from addiction. And, and we want to be a part of that process for people. But here's what we've learned. We've learned that finding freedom oftentimes doesn't happen uh, through the course of a 75-minute service on a Sunday. In fact, we believe that finding freedom really can only take place in vulnerable, life-changing relationships. We believe that in life groups, people have the opportunity to find freedom. We believe that in deeper community, people have the opportunity to find freedom. We just finished up our summer life group semester, and those are always so fun. It's kind of a shorter semester, so there's a lot of good activity groups, dinner groups, stuff like that, but um, we're about to kick off fall life group semester in September. And fall life group and spring life group semester, they're both 14 weeks long. It's a, it's a longer stretch to really dig into issues and, and get into um, Bible studies. There's still our activity groups and things like that. But we just find that relationally, over the course of those longer semesters, people really begin to develop the kind of relationships that can lead them to freedom. And so what I wanted to, to let you guys know about first thing this morning is that today and next week, we're going to be opening up life group leader signups. And I just want to invite you to be a part of what God is doing here at the Gathering Church. I want to invite you to be a part of what God is doing in the people's lives around you here at the Gathering. I want to be a part of you inviting God to do something in you as you make a difference in the lives of of others. And so uh, our, our life group model is very simple. We, we, we let people lead where their heart is. And so if you were thinking about leading a life group or it's something that you've been on the fence about, um, I want you to know that, that we want to partner with you to lead in the way that you want to lead. And so we're going to put some restrictions around it and, and give you some, some guidelines and some leadership and some training to make sure that, that, um, that, it's, that, you're, that you're doing it uh, well, but we also want to give you the freedom to lead in the area you want to lead. Here's what I mean by that. If you believe that for the next 14 weeks, you deeply want to lead somebody um, in a life group that is centered around aqua aerobics, because this is your passion in life, is this, and then you get the foam weights, and you're like, yes, and this is how you want to connect with people, we want to empower you to do that, okay? And so we're, we're going to encourage you to do, we're going to encourage you to involve some story and some scripture in there somewhere, but we want you to lead aqua aerobics. And so that, that's, that's our heart, and we call it free market life group systems, because yay capitalism. And so, and so uh, let me just encourage you today that um, if you've been on the fence, you've been thinking about it, or maybe you haven't been thinking about it, then, then I'd encourage you to pray about it. Um, and if you have been praying about it, then I'd encourage you to go for it. Uh, right after service today, right outside in, in the, in the um, foyer here, we'll have sign-ups to lead a life group. And, uh, and so uh, let me just encourage you to partner with us in leading a life group here at the Gathering Church for the fall semester. Well, today we are uh, in day, I've been told this morning, I've been having a real hard time remembering which day in the 21 days of prayer we're in. I'm not very good at math, simple counting included, and, uh, and so I've been told this morning that we are in day 15 of 21 days of prayer, and I just want, I just want to let you know that for me, this season has already been life-changing. That 15 days of unified prayer, one hour every day, coming together as the church in the throne room of God, lifting up our church, our families, our lives, the things that we've been searching for, whether it's fresh vision for your life, 
whether you're looking for the next steps for your life, whether you're looking for revelation from God or for a breakthrough from God, that for me, this season has been life-changing. God has been speaking things to me. He's been speaking to things to me about the relationships I have in my life and, and my role in those relationships and the things that I can do better. And he's been speaking to me about some big decisions. I've had some big decisions that I've had to make for my family, for the church, and I feel like I'm receiving fresh vision from God in this season. I, I think that our whole church is feeling a little bit of a lifting from this season of prayer, that, that we're getting a little bit of a detox from the year so far, that we're getting a little bit of rest, a little bit of restoration in this season of prayer. And so I'm excited about it, and, um, and I want to encourage you that... Uh, you, you keep with it. You got one more week of this. And so if you've been getting up with us at, at 6.30 each morning or earlier to, to pray with us, or you've been joining us uh, on that feed some point throughout your day to partner with us in prayer, stick with it. We got one more week to go, and, uh, and let's just see what God can do. You know, I don't think we have to wait for January to have a restart to the year. I don't think you got to wait till January to get your life back on track spiritually and, and emotionally and physically and all of that. And so um, let me encourage you to keep digging into prayer with us, and, um, and, and we actually have a resource for you today uh, that we want to help you with as you finish out this week in prayer, and also as you go from our 21 days of prayer into a greater lifestyle of prayer. Um, one of the churches in our network uh, created these incredible books, these prayer guides, and it's 66 pages long, and it's filled with basically instructions on how to pray. And so I think a lot of times when I'm talking to people and they're trying to figure out how to, how to engage a prayer life, the biggest question on their mind is, well, how do I engage a prayer life? Well, where do I start? Where do I begin in conversation with God? This book is going to help you with that. It's got several different templates for prayer. Two of the ones that I follow the most often are in the very beginning of this book. It's got prayers that you can pray straight out of Scripture. We talk sometimes about praying the Scriptures. This book can help help you learn how to do that. There's even some spiritual warfare prayers. There's some prayers that'll help you learn how to pray for your friends and for the people who you're trying to show Jesus to. And so um, this is an incredible resource. We want it. They made it free to us. We want to make it free to you. And so we have a limited amount of them. They're in the Connect Center. You can go over there and grab one right after service. Uh, and, and when we run out, if you still want one, then uh, we can make an electronic version available to you. So um, we got that for you this morning, and, uh, and I'm excited about that. Well, let me get into the message, because we've been in this series, Summer at the Gathering. We've kind of been talking a lot about what's on our heart and the different things that, that God's been teaching us and sharing us, and we've kind of we've tied some of it into some of the rhythms of what's been going on here at the Gathering, and um, and so what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, because we're in a season of prayer, is different things that relate to our prayer lives. Last week, we talked about the nature of God, how in order to approach him with the right posture, we need to know who he is. We need to know what his character is. We, we need to know how he's going to respond to us. And so we, we, we spoke about the character of God, that he is a compassionate and gracious God, that he's slow to anger that he maintains love to thousands, that he's a just God, but a merciful God. And today, when I want to talk about, uh, since we talked about God's name and, and, and how his name defines him, I want to talk a little bit about our names and how our names define us. And even really, I think in a season of prayer like this one, a lot of times we come before God searching for freedom from a different area of our life. We're, we're looking for some sort of a breakthrough. We're trying to lay something at his feet. We're trying to to get free from an area. And I think often we have a tendency, even in prayer, to try and manipulate the outcome of our life and, and of, of those prayers. And we try a little bit to have control, even in our prayer lives, over what we want God to do in our lives. And I want to talk today about what happens when we stop and release control. And so last week, as I was talking about names and, and, and I, I listed a few names of uh, people that were defined by those names. One of the people that I mentioned in that was Jacob. And I want to focus in on Jacob today. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. And so if, you, if you're new to Christianity and to church, um, the Bible and the Old Testament in Genesis, the Bible is the story of the relationship between God and man. 
And in Genesis, we see this man Abraham, who is one of the very first people that God chooses to start his relationship with humanity through. And it was through Abraham that God would raise up a people that he would have a deeper relationship through. And then it was through those people that God would bring Jesus to rescue all of us. And so Abraham was kind of one of the chief forefathers, and Jacob would become another chief important forefather, the grandson of Abraham. But Jacob's name meant liar, manipulator, deceiver. And that was the label that he wore for most of his life. In fact, it actually defined who he was. He was always trying to manipulate his circumstances. When Jacob was born, he was a twin. And what the, the custom was in those days was that the firstborn child would receive the birthright. They'd get the primary blessing of the household as well as most of the material inheritance of that household. And so when twins were born, they would tie a scarlet ribbon around the first twin that came out so they'd know which one got the birthright. Well, as Jacob is being born, he kicks his foot out real quick and they tie a ribbon on it, but then he's not, he's not in order to come out first. His brother Esau comes out first. And his brother Esau is supposed to be given the birthright. But throughout his childhood, Jacob believes that is meant to be his. And so he tries to manipulate the outcome. Later in life, they're grown. And, uh, and Esau's a big hunting dude. He's always out hunting in the wilderness. Everything he owns is camo. And he, and he just loves it. You know? And Jacob is kind of a, he's like a home chef. He watches Food Network all the time. He's a mama's boy. And, and so Jacob has cooked up this delicious stew. And Esau's been out hunting for days. And he's not a big planner, so he didn't bring any food with him. So he comes back, and he's really hungry, and he's starving. And Jacob says, hey, I, 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 man, you look real hungry right now. And Esau's like, I'm literally starving to death. I'm going to die right now if you don't give me food. He's a dramatic guy. And Jacob says, Esau, if you will sell me your birthright as the firstborn child, then I will give you this bowl of soup that I've made for you. And Esau, because none of us think right when we're hungry, none of us have, have, have like our proper state of mind when we're hungry. It's like a Snickers commercial. Esau says, yes, I would happily sell you my birthright for this soup. And so the deal is made. But he knows his father will never follow this. And so Jacob, the manipulator, the deceiver, the liar, uh, goes to his father who is dying and who is blinded. And Jacob takes sheepskins or, or, or skins of an animal that are hairy and wraps them around his arms because Esau is super hairy and Jacob is not. And he goes to his father and he convinces his father that he is Esau and asks his father to bless him with the birthright. He's always manipulating. He's always deceiving. He's always trying to control his circumstances and the outcome of his life. And he gets the blessing. Esau's very upset and Jacob goes on and next thing that happens in Jacob's life is he's looking for a spouse and he falls in love with this girl. And, he's, and it's stars in his eyes. He's in love with her. And he goes to this girl's father and says, I want to marry her. And the father wants to marry her sister before he marries her. So he tricks Jacob, tricks the trickster into believing that he's married Rachel when in fact he's married her sister Leah. It was a lot of elaborate veils if you're wondering how that happens. And so, and so Jacob spends his wedding night with the wrong girl, wakes up, says, oh no, this isn't the plan that I had for my life. But he's always trying to manipulate and control his circumstances. And so he strikes a deal up with her father uh, to also marry his sister. And he waits and he's patient and he does what he has to do. And eventually he's married to both. It puts a new meaning to the term sister wives. And I'm sure it went fine for Jacob. I'm sure that was a healthy marriage to both sisters that everybody was level-headed about the whole thing. You see, Jacob's life was filled with struggle that was rooted in him trying to manipulate his circumstances. And I wonder how many of us, when we go to God in prayer, are still trying to control our circumstances. I wonder how many of those prayers that go unanswered, uh, the prayers that we get frustrated about, weren't really about trying to live in God's will or ask for the blessings that he offers us, but really are about us trying to control our current situation, our future situation. And here's the thing. I, I believe it's okay to pray for your circumstances and to even ask for better ones. But posture and motivation matter. They matter in life, they matter in relationship, and they matter in prayer. 
And the way that you ask and the why that you ask often will determine the answer that you get. So if Jacob could give us advice about this, if he could lean in after a life of trying to manipulate the outcome and after a life of trying to maintain control over what happened to him, I think he would give us advice that looks like this. I think he would say, when your life isn't going in the direction that you hoped for, let God have control of your life. When your life isn't going in the direction that you hoped for, let God have control of your life. Don't pray prayers that are asking God to sustain your control in life. Pray prayers that release your control over your life. Give it to God, your future, your finances, your relationship status. Quit trying to control and submit it to God. Not my will, but his will be done. Because here's what happens when you allow God to take control of your life. First, you'll get a new strength. And so there's a story in Jacob's life that I want to focus in on today. It's in chapter 32 of Genesis. Jacob is married and he's got these two wives and he's got some children at this point. And he has been afraid of confrontation from his brother Esau ever since he stole the birthright from Esau. And so he, he is running from Esau, and Esau's got this huge family as well, and then he somehow has like this army of guys that probably have like helmets with like feathers on top, because that's what the bad guys were in movies. And they're coming after Jacob, and Jacob, in order to sustain his family's line, he splits them. He sends half of them this way, and half of them this way. And now Jacob is alone, and he's preparing to proceed on his own, but he has this, this encounter. Um, and so... Look at Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 through 25. It says, This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Out of context, that's very strange. This guy's all alone, and all of a sudden he gets into a wrestling match. But the language and the context don't tell us that this is just a man. What we see in the scripture is that this, this encounter is between Jacob and God himself. In fact, the way that the language is written, most scholars believe that this is a uh, pre-incarnate version of Jesus that Jacob is wrestling with, a man version of God. It says that he wrestled with him until dawn. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Maybe you're worn out. Worn out by life right now. Maybe the season that you're in has you exhausted, has you uh, feeling like you just can't keep going forward. And maybe it, it, it is your circumstances that have worn you out. And maybe you've been trying to control them for too long, and, and it's, just, it's just left you in this place where you are feeling empty, ready for rest. See, what I believe is that if we would let God have control, if we would learn how to turn our control of our lives and control of our circumstances and control of the outcome over to him, that we, we, would, we wouldn't feel like we have to do it all by ourselves anymore. That we wouldn't have the pressure of carrying this weight by ourselves anymore and that we would get a new strength. In this story that we see here where Jacob is fighting for control over his life. You see, all of his life he struggled to have control and he gets to a place where God knows that he's got bigger dreams for Jacob than Jacob has for himself. And so he interferes. He steps in. He says I, he starts to literally wrestle with Jacob for control over his life. And when he sees how stubborn Jacob is, he decides to allow Jacob to enter crisis. Jacob gets his hip wrenched out of socket. And for the rest of his life, he walks with a limp as a result of this encounter. He enters into a crisis, and God says, listen, I want you to see just how weak you really are. Look how fragile you really are. Jacob's struggle for control uh, leads to this crisis, which leaves him with a lifelong reminder. God uses this moment to show Jacob just how weak he really is. Stubborn self-reliance will wear you out and lead you into crisis. And some of us are in a place like this. We're worn out, we're exhausted from the wrestling match, from struggling with God for control, from trying to stay in control, and maybe as a result, you're in crisis. I don't believe God will create a crisis for you, but I do believe he will use the one that you created to teach you about your need for him. 
And that's what it took for Jacob to start giving over control. Jesus would say it this way, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We've got to stop fighting. I think, I think we've got to stop trying to do it all by ourselves. We've got to stop thinking that we're enough. We've got to stop thinking we can keep it all bottled up and keep pressing on. We have to stop pushing away community, to stop fighting God for control. I think it's time that instead of fighting for control, we learn how to go to Jesus and turn it over to him, to let him in, to let the church in, and he would give us rest. And that rest comes with a new strength. The kind of rest that Jesus is talking about isn't the kind of rest that we consider inactivity. A lot of times we think that inactivity equals rest, but inactivity is not rest. Rest is anything that takes out the the things in you that are draining and replaces it with things that fill you up. Rest doesn't have to be inactive. In fact, what Jesus says is that I'm going to give you a new strength because I'm giving you a job to do, a purpose that I'm going to give you. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Interesting fact. The word, uh, there are two Greek words for yoke. And the first one uh, is kind of like the standard yoke. If you don't know, if you're not a, an, a, you know, a first century farmer, maybe you don't know what a yoke is. A yoke is like a big wooden thing that they would put on an ox or livestock that they would pull a plow with. And there was kind of the, the one that you would buy uh, just at Lowe's, you know, that was just the kind of the one size fit all. It's very uncomfortable for the animal. It would dig into the shoulders of the animal. It would make the job difficult for the animal. And ultimately, it would reduce the amount of time the animal could do the work for. But then there was the word that Jesus used, which was a fancy yoke, which was a custom fitted yoke, one that a carpenter would make based on the size of the animal, the shape of the animal, the age of the animal, that would allow the animal to do more work further, faster. This is the kind of yoke that Jesus probably made often during his career as a carpenter. And this is the kind of yoke that Jesus is saying he wants to lay on people, one that is just right for you. He says, I will give you rest, and I'm going to give you rest by giving you a job to do that was perfectly made for you to do. If you would just stop trying to take on your own control in life and manipulate your own circumstances in life and come to me, I will give you rest, and I will give you a job to do that instead of wearing you out, will fill you up. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. If we give up control, we get new strength. Real rest. If we give up control, we get new strength. Uh, You know why he used eagles in this version? This is interesting to me. Um, I think birds are interesting. I'm not like a bird watcher. I think bird watchers are strange. I think it's, an, it's a strange hobby just to stare at birds all the time. If you're a bird watcher, I think it's awesome. I'm glad that you do that. But here's what I think is interesting about eagles. I, I, my parents live on, they've got a pond behind their house. And uh, at one point, an eagle took up residence in this giant pine tree over the pond. And I was sitting out on the back porch one day, kind of looking out there. And uh, this eagle gets up on the nest and he takes off out of that thing. And it's just like one flap. He's like, whoo, whoo. You know, he's just soaring. And I'm getting real patriotic. You know, I've seen this thing. And I'm just like, my country tis. You know, I mean, it's an awesome sight to see. The size of this bird and the way that his wings just carry him forward. And you think about that in contrast to a finch or a small bird. You ever seen a little bird fly? They look ridiculous. There's like, whoo. You know, just as fast as they can, flapping their wings. I promise never to do a bird impression again on a Sunday. They're flapping their wings as fast as they can. And some of us right now, we look like this. You know, we're just, we're just kind of cruising along as fast as we can, and we're getting exhausted, and we're worn out, and we're trying to stay in control, but we're not really doing a very good job of any of it. But an eagle, he uses something called the thermal current that helps him fly. See, they, only, they don't really flap. They thrust every so often. And the thermal current up where they fly keeps them lifted, gives them the strength they need to keep going forward and fly. And see, I just think if we would learn how to submit to Jesus, if we would learn what it looks like, even in our prayer lives, to stop having control over the outcome, and we would learn how to submit ourselves to Jesus, that we would find a new strength, 
that we wouldn't have to try and do it on our own again, but that another power would come up underneath us. We would give up control and gain a new strength. The second thing that happens when you give control over to God is you'll get a new identity. You'll get a new identity. Um, Let's talk about names again for a minute. Jacob's name meant liar, and that's how he lived his life, lying and manipulating through every situation. And I wonder, I wonder what label or name you've allowed to identify you. I wonder what label or name you've allowed to, to, to determine your path forward. Here's the thing. is, I think that Jacob, this was kind of in his nature. This is why this was his name. And I don't, I don't know what it is about names that really kind of directs our nature, but they do sometimes. And the nature of Jacob is that he's this manipulator. He's this liar. He's this deceiver. But it's also this title that's hung over his head his whole life. It's not comfortable for him. He's always trying to shift things around, and he's gotten himself into a lot of trouble over time. And I just wonder what kind of names you've allowed to determine you. Maybe you made a mistake when you were young. And whatever it was, you know, maybe it was this, this enormous financial mistake. Maybe it was an enormous relational mistake. Maybe it was a, an enormous uh, sin mistake. And, and it's this thing that's kind of hung over your head for most of your life. The shame of it, the guilt of it. And even now, as you move forward, you still kind of allow this name to define you. You still kind of allow the guilt of that season to, get, to be the lens through which you see your future. Maybe for you it is something you still struggle with. It's an addiction that, that you just can't seem to put away. And you think right now, because it's not visible, that it's under control. But even still, it's something that you're allowing to be your filter for what you see through your future. In Genesis 32, verses 27 and 28, it says, God says to him, what is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him, from now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Jacob finally quits fighting and God gives him a new identity. He says, Jacob, you've been living your life by this script and it's led you into nothing but frustration and pain. So what script have you been living by? What do you believe about yourself and what do you let define you? God wants to replace it with a new script, with the one that you were supposed to have. You don't have to be defined by your past for another minute. Release control to God, and he will give you a new name. Jacob's name becomes Israel. In fact, he's the forefather of the nation of Israel. He would have 12 sons, which would become the chiefs of the 12 tribes of Israel. God is not only changing Jacob's name, he's changing the name of his future people through Jacob. This is the dream that God has for Jacob. In the very beginning, God knew that Jacob was the one that he would do this great thing through. But Jacob never would have got there if he would have just kept trying to follow his plan for his life, have his dreams for his life realized. Here's what I think happens in our prayers sometimes. And we go through a season like 21 days of prayer, and we get real frustrated Uh, about whether or not God is answering our prayers. But here's what happens. I think we get this dream and this vision for our life, and we think it's as good as it gets. We think it's the best option, the best version of what could happen for us. We think that this is the ultimate. If we would just press in in this one path that we've dreamed about, that we'll get where where we want to go. And then when we start praying in that zone, when we start praying over the plans we have the dreams that we have when we start playing, pl- praying over the ideas that we have and we don't hear answers. We don't hear God delivering what we're asking for. We don't see the answers that we're asking for. We don't receive the clarity that we want. We, 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 don't, we don't see the, the easy way forward that we're dreaming about. We get frustrated. And we begin to think maybe God's not listening after all. Maybe God's not not really there. Maybe prayer just doesn't work for me. I'm not going to keep engaging in prayer because my prayers aren't being answered in the way that they wanted. But the Bible says that, that, that he wants to do immeasurably more for you than you've ever asked or imagined, which means you don't even know how good God's dreams are for you. Jacob never could have imagined that out of him was going to come 12 tribes that would change the world. 
He never knew that. He, he, he knew that there was a promise on his family and he wanted that, but he didn't know the extent of it because he had his own vision for his life. And for so long, he struggles for control. And even when he's wrestling with God in person for control, he doesn't want to release it because he thinks that the dreams he's got for his life are the best possible version of a dream for his life. But the truth is, the dreams that God has for him are infinitely better. And so God says, your name is no longer Jacob, manipulator, manipulator, liar, deceiver. That's not who you are anymore. Now your name is Israel, which means two different things. And scholars can't agree on which one is right. One means he who struggles with God, which Jacob had literally just done. And the other meaning is prince of God. And here's what I think. When you look at the history of Israel, they are both. And Jacob gets a new identity. He's not a liar. He's a prince. And God says, I've got a dream for you that's bigger than you imagined. And, and I think for many of us, if we would learn how to release in our prayer life the dreams that we have for ourselves in order to pursue the dreams that God has for us, we would find a lot more satisfaction. Jesus changes the names of some of his people as well. Um, John 1.42 it says that Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Peter. Simon means observer, listener, spectator. And, and Peter had this, had this identity over his life that he would always be the brother that was just kind of there, present, watching. But Jesus says, your name is going to be Cephas, Peter, which means rock. In other words, you're not going to be an observer. You're going to be a foundation. You see, God's dreams for you are always bigger than the dreams you have for yourself. Third thing is this. If you learn how to submit yourself to God, Instead of yourself, you'll, you'll get a new joy. You'll get a new joy. And here's the thing. If you begin to go before God and release your need to control your life, if you release the need you have to control the outcome of your problems, to manipulate your circumstances, if you learn how to come before God and turn things over to him, turn your issues over to him, turn your, your habits over to him, turn your relationships over to him, turn your job over to him, if you learn how to do these things, uh, if, you, if you learn how to, if, if, you, if you want a better station in life and you've been trying to get there yourself and control it yourself and you learn how to go to God and turn that over to him, your station will not instantly improve. Your situation will not immediately change. You, you won't, your problems, if, if you've been trying to solve your problems and you learn how to go to God with your problems instead of taking them upon yourself, in that moment, your problems don't disappear. You need to know that. You need to understand that there's still going to be a process. There's still work ahead of you. Jacob had a lot of things that he had to overcome from this point forward. But the difference is what's happening inside of you while you're struggling with all of these things. The difference is, uh, is, is, the way, is the way that your internal focus shifts. Because I think a lot of times we have these, these problems and we hope that when we get into a good uh, prayer life that they'll change. You know, the girl of our dreams will knock on our door the moment we release control to God. Or the stock we bought in Kmart in 1995 would suddenly go back up and we'd be rich. <laughs> <laughs> we, we hope, I actually, this is hilarious. I don't know anything about, this has nothing to do with anything. I don't know anything about the stock market. And, um, and, and I don't, I mean, I, just nothing. I, I, I have like an investment account that is like, I just give them some money. And then some, somebody whose job it is like worries about where it goes, you know. And, but this past week, I'm a MoviePass subscriber. I don't know if you've been following everything that goes on with MoviePass. I love movies. And so to me, $10 a month to see one movie per day was a great deal. Now to the people who were paying for all those movies I was seeing, not a good deal. And so the problem was they were losing like $20 million a month. And that's a problem when you're a company. And so if you're not following the news, it's plummeted, it's gone down, it's dying. Uh, it's almost over. And here's the thing is their stock has gone down to 40 cents a share. And so I was like, no, four cents a share. And so I was like, four cents a share? I'm going to buy some stocks. And so I, I, went, I went in this past week and I spent, I got like 700 shares of MoviePass. I'm like one of the primary owners of MoviePass now. Just, I was sure, I see so many movies, I was just like, sure, this is going to be fine and I'm going to be very wealthy. And then, and, and Robbie laughed at me and I was like, you'll see. And the next day I went on, online and checked and my stocks were now worth three cents a share. And so things are going well. I'll keep you updated on... 
on how that goes. And, and, it's, it, and we, th- we hope that if we give it to God, and maybe, maybe we, we, we just think, like we get in this mindset where we think that this is how prayer works. It's like going to Santa Claus with a wish list. And we hope that if we get into this prayer life with God where we learn to start submitting it over to him and, and we get the right set of words in. Maybe I'm not using the word you know, holy or glorified or, or, or thou enough. Maybe if I say you, it's not respectful enough. And so I've got to start saying thou and that will, that will get the outcome I'm looking for. And we think if we get it right, that all of a sudden our circumstances will change, those stocks will go up, the, the, the job offer will come in, the new house would be reduced in price, whatever it is, we just think it'll happen, but the reality is that that's just not the way that it works, is that you will still have the circumstances that you have. Now, I believe that once you learn to submit it to God, that God will start you on the path to where he, his dreams are for your life, but you may find that his dreams for your life aren't as comfortable as the dreams that you had for your life. But here's the difference. When we learn to submit it to God, we receive a new joy. It's in Genesis 32, 29. Jacob is still talking to the man. He says, please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied, as in, you're not ready for that yet. Remember, God wouldn't reveal his name until Moses, which was many, many years after this. So he says, why do you want to know my name? And then it says, then he blessed Jacob there. Blessing is one of those misunderstood words. I think in the church we hear blessing and maybe we're talking about finances. You were here for a financial talk and there's a lot of scripture that says if you trust God with your finances, you'll be blessed. And we often, we just think, yeah, that clearly means if I learn to trust God with my finances, I'm going to get richer. Like that's how it works, right? Or, or if I do the right thing, if I, if I treat the poor well, that God's going to bless me. And that means I'm going to have more money to treat the poor well. I just think we've got the wrong idea about blessing. Blessing has nothing to do with material things. Blessing is about internal fulfillment, satisfaction, and joy. Blessing is something that happens here in your heart, on the inside. And so I, what happens to Jacob is that he receives a joy that wasn't something that he could produce on his own. Joy is not happiness. We mix them up a lot because happiness is kind of what we want. That's what we see in the movies. That's what the songs talk about. Happiness, though, is circumstantial. Happiness is the feeling you get when the pizza hits the table. Happiness is the feeling I get every time I get in my truck. You know, it's, a, it's the, it's the mm, yes, this is four-wheel drive. That's what happiness is. It's very circumstantial. The minute I go to turn the key and the truck doesn't start, the happiness is gone. The minute the pizza comes and it's already cold, the happiness is gone. It's very circumstantial. You don't get happiness from God because God is not a circumstantial God. He's not a God that only meets you every so often and then he's not there. You see, God is always there and what he gives you is joy. And joy is not circumstantial. Joy is permanent. You can have the worst circumstances in your life happening around you at that moment and wake up with joy in your heart. I remember when I was, um, part of my testimony is that I struggled with depression, severe depression. And I'll talk about that in a second, but I struggled with severe depression. But even in the season where I was learning to overcome and heal and find freedom from my depression, the difference between before God and after God is even though I was depressed in my heart, I had this joy. It's hard to explain. It's a satisfaction. It's a sense of fulfillment. It's a sense of I'm in the right place doing the right thing and God is with me and I am satisfied and so I've got a reason to smile even when my world is crashing. Joy is what Paul experienced. If you read the letters of Paul, if you read the Acts from chapter 11 on and you see the life and the journey of Paul, Paul was, was, a, was a great evangelist, the first Billy Graham. He was going around running crusades from town to town, starting churches, staying somewhere for a couple years at a time and then moving on. And the world that he was doing that in was not very Christian friendly. And so Paul was constantly being arrested, beaten. He had a shipwreck. Who has a shipwreck? Paul had to survive a shipwreck. There were snakes involved. Why did it have to be snakes? All of this is happening. And the whole time Paul is saying that though I am suffering, I am rejoicing. Every time somebody would do something bad to him, what do you do to a guy 
when, when you throw him in jail and he goes, this is perfect. Now I'll have time to finish Ephesians. I've been working on it for quite a while. What do you do when you tell a guy you're going to kill him? And he says, fantastic. For me, I can never decide if it's better to live or to die. That'll solve that. What do you do for a guy like that? That's a guy you can't do anything to because he's not based on circumstances. It's not happiness that he has. It's joy. And it comes from the inside and nobody can take it away. And when you learn how to submit your circumstances and where you're at and the life that you're living to God, instead of trying to control it yourself, you get joy. Joy is better than happiness. So here's a few things that I want you to take with you from Jacob's story this morning. Um, the first thing is this, is simply that brokenness precedes breakthrough. Brokenness precedes breakthrough. So remember the nature of God, that he, he is compassionate and gracious He's slow to anger. He offers mercy and love to generations, to thousands. Remember that he will always respond to you in compassion and love, that that's the response that he has for you, that despite the place you're coming from, when you come to God, his response to you is a response of compassion and love. And I would encourage you to let your seasons of brokenness lead you to God. Let, let your seasons of brokenness lead to a breakthrough in your relationship with him. Um, because we cannot be who God intends us to be as long as we hold on to who we think we should be. This is true for me. I'm a control freak. This is like, I mean, just like, I don't, I, I always drive. If we're going somewhere, I drive. If it's your car, I don't care. I want to drive because I don't, I'm not a good driver. I'm not. But at least when I'm driving, I'm in control. I hate flying in an airplane because I don't know that guy up there. I don't know what he did last night. You know, I don't, I don't know who he is. I don't want him in control of me on this steel tube at 30,000 feet. I don't like that. I don't, I'm, 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 I'm always trying to have control over my life. And I was, a, a, you may not, I was in the Coast Guard for a few years. I say this all the time. It's your first time here. Every story that I tell starts with, I was in the Coast Guard. So I was in the Coast Guard for a few years, and in the early part of that, I was on a ship. And while I was on that ship, uh, I learned something about the sea. You see, a sailor thinks that he's in control of the sea as long as the weather is good. When the, when the seas are calm, when the weather is good, a sailor believes he is the one controlling the sea. He makes the ship go wherever he wants it to go because the sailor feels he has control. But the reality shifts the minute a storm kicks up. I was out at sea. My first patrol, we went through a gale. A gale is just below a tropical depression. It's 60 to 70 mile an hour winds. That doesn't seem so scary when you're watching it on the news and it's going to hit and you're like, oh man, are they going to cancel school for something that's not even a tropical depression? When you're in the ocean, it's scary, okay? We're talking 20 foot seas. And when, when, when I first saw that, I had a realization in life. I realized that we are only in control as God wants us to be. We only have the amount of control that it's an illusion of control until things start to fall apart. Because as soon as life starts to fall apart and we hit that storm, we realize we don't have all the control we thought we did. I think brokenness can lead to a breakthrough if you know where to look. You see, a lot of times we are so stubborn the way that Jacob was, just manipulating our circumstances, trying to control and walk through our lives. But when we hit that storm... This is the crisis. This is the opportunity that we have to release control. God doesn't care when you give it to him, how you give it to him, how, how, how forced it may feel. He doesn't care about that. If you submit control, he will take it. it and I think that before I knew Jesus, I was angry and I was bitter and I lived recklessly doing a job that was already dangerous, more dangerously than I needed to be. I drank heavily. I smoked a lot of cigarettes and I was mean to people. I made them feel as small as I felt. And I was so very broken. So broken. And I was so depressed. It, it felt like a black hole inside of me growing and sucking all the life in with it. And it was in this broken, shattered state of my life that I finally stopped trying to manipulate the circumstances around me. That just like that ship in the sea, I finally realized that all the control I ever had was an illusion anyways. And that if I wanted to get through the storm, the way you get a ship through a storm is you turn with the seas. 
The way that you survive a storm in a ship is you've got to go with the seas. You figure out how to get back to where you need to go after the storm. During the storm, you've got to submit to the sea. And I just learned that for me, in my brokenness, in my anger, in my bitterness, that if I was going to be able to keep going, that I needed to learn how to submit my life to God, to the one who I was drifting in, to the one that I was avoiding. I had to give myself over to him. All of me, every moment, every decision from that point forward, I released control of it to God in that season. And there's been struggle and sacrifice between there and here, but inside of me, that darkness was replaced with light. The weakness was replaced with strength. The names I lived by were changed, and the sadness was replaced with real and true joy. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, are, are a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. In 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, it says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Second thing is this. You must lose yourself to find yourself. You've got to lose yourself to find yourself. I think so many, um, especially in my generation, are on this journey to find themselves. They're looking for who they are and, and what their purpose is. And, and the problem is that you can't find that while you still want to be in control. You've got to let God lead. You've got to learn how to prayer, pray prayers of submission. In Mark 8, verse 34, uh, in the message, it says, Calling to the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. In the NLT, in the next verse, in Mark 8, 35, it says, If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, You'll save it. I know it's scary to go all in, to say, God, I give this to you, because we feel like we need control. We spend our adolescence clamoring for it. We spend our, our, our childhood dreaming about it. We spend our adulthood clinging to it. But here's what I've realized in my life. That wasn't working. Life under my control was broken and empty. And it wasn't until I went all in and gave my life to Jesus that I began to find joy and meaning and fulfillment. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Go all in. Go all in. I, I think in this season of prayer right now that if you've been praying prayers over your circumstances and have been frustrated because you haven't got the answers you were looking for, maybe you've been looking for freedom in an area you needed a breakthrough and you just, you're just struggling with it because you don't feel like God is listening, I would encourage you to shift your posture a little bit. That when you go into prayer, go into prayer and say, God, I want to I relinquish control of my life over to you. I, I want you to take charge. God, I'm, I've tried to be the one that determines my outcome, that determines my future, and it hasn't worked. And so, God, I want the future that you've dreamed for me. God, I want the future that you have planned for me. God, I want the purpose that you created we, me with. God, I don't want to have to do this on my own anymore. I can't do it on my own anymore. And so I want to give it to you. Father, I've been praying about this job that I have and the difficulties I have with it and the promotion that I want or the field that I want to go in. And God, I don't hear an answer. And so, Father, here I am laying that down in front of you. God, it's yours. My career is yours. My job is yours. The people I work with, God, use me to point them to you. Father, you, you, use me to have the influence that you have dreamed for my life. God, I, I don't know what that means for my decision process. But I also, I don't, I don't know that I have to right now. I just want to submit it to you. I'd encourage you to go all in in your prayer life. I'd encourage you to go all in. I think we get so frustrated sometimes in our Christian life when it doesn't work out the way we want it. You know, it does it. We didn't get, the pastor said we would receive uh, fulfillment and satisfaction if we got on the dream team, but we're not feeling that. Or, or the pastor said that if we joined a life group, we could find freedom, but I didn't experience it. And here's what I think. I think a lot of times, if that's the case, if you look at the overall picture, you didn't give it everything you had. You didn't submit it all to God. You didn't go all in. You didn't say, I'm going to give this everything. I'd encourage you to give it everything. To, to, to go into a life group with the goal of finding somebody or some bodies that you could completely remove the mask with. That you could share everything that you need to share. 
that you can invite somebody into your healing process and never miss a group. Don't believe that you that you're that you're whatever it is you got going on over here is more important. I got a crockpot dinner tonight so I can't go because if I leave, you know, the whole thing will be ruined and it took all day. I just want to encourage you to go all in, to say, I'm going to give this season up to you, God. I'm going to release my control, and so I'm never going to miss a group because I need it. I need it right now. I'm never going to miss a day of prayer because I need it right now, Father. I'm going to come before your throne room every single day. I'm going to be right here. I don't know what to say, so I'm just going to read it out of this book, or I'm just going to read your Bible. I'm going to worship. I'm going to just tell you what's on my heart, and I'm just going to keep saying, God, it's yours. I give it to you. God, it's yours. I give it to you. God, it's yours. I give it to you. I'd encourage you to go all in on Sundays, to be a part of what God is doing here, to come and be here every week, to be here. Don't, don't miss, to, to dig in, whatever the application is. Take it home and do it. Get on the dream team. Discover your purpose. Where did God create you to serve? Go serve there. I just am telling you that to release control to God means to go all in. If you're uncomfortable with this, if it feels like a lot, just do it for a year. Give it a year. Commit to one year going all in, giving it everything you've got. And if you just don't feel like it's changed anything a year later, then just release yourself of the obligation. But I don't believe that'll happen. I think God will change you in that year. The last thing is very simply, when you find yourself on God's terms, you find fulfillment. Look at this scripture with me. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the very best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Let's approach God this way. Let's pray that he would take control. Let's find out what happens when we turn our circumstances over to him, our relationships over to him, our problems over to him, and just let him run with it. Maybe this last week of prayer looks for you just like a lot of submission, a lot of submission of, of what's happening in your life. Maybe you need to submit your marriage to God, your, your children to God. Maybe you need to submit your friendships to God. Maybe you just need to say, God, I, I want my future path to be yours, Father. Help me to start seeing your vision for my life and, and help me to see if, it, if it's even close to my vision for my life. I want the dreams you have for me, God. I don't need my dreams. I want yours. Mine aren't working out. And so, God, just I just want to submit to what you have for me. We just got to start to learn how to let God have control, how to give it to him, how to release it. We clamor for control like it's the only thing we've got in this life. But I just need you to know that if you release it and if you give it to God, you'll find that he's the only thing you need in this life. You don't need the control that you thought that you wanted. What you need is the relationship that you were made to have. Let's give it to him this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, God, and and just, just, just the way that you've made us, Father. For the dreams that you have for us. For the gifts that you, you've put in us, God. The strength that you've put in us, God. Father, for the joy you want to get us, God. Lord, we just praise your name. We just ask that you would, that you would just take it, Father God, and use it for, a, for your glory. That, God, we submit control of our life over to you. Be glorified in it. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.